today we have Naomi Trenton with us, who is a co-founder of MITUS, which is a group looking at emotional coaching in that area, dealing with anything from children to adults as individuals to, to the corporate sector to organization. So Naomi, welcome. It's Thank you for having me. Um, can we can we just talk talk us through um, what you do and how you got into the, the work that you're in? Sure. So um, Mitos was founded. The brand as a brand we founded January 2020, um, and really it was about I was I was working quite a lot in schools doing emotional resilience work with children who weren't able to engage in the classroom because of various reasons, usually some sort of trauma or pain. So I would come alongside and, and, and help them understand really what was going on with them within them emotionally. Um, having done some training with Emotion Coaching UK over a number of years. And I very quickly spotted when the pandemic hit that this was needed on a much broader scale in other settings and that it was actually possible to begin to move some things online. And it was around about that time that I met Marie, who is my uh, Co, which is my partner, my business partner and co-founder of Mitos Global, which is our, our company. So we do uh, coaching with adults and teenagers and children one-to-one. Um, -one. We also do work on emotional resilience programs and courses for organizations. So that can be sporting bodies. We also deliver training to teaching, teaching whole groups of teaching professionals in schools. Um, and we're also involved in uh, developing and supporting mentoring programs. Wow, so across the board, yeah. uh, the sort of underpinning principles of, of, of MITOS, which is all around emotion coaching and emotional engagement, is it, it's applicable in every setting. So we take it just about anywhere where, it's up, where we're invited. Okay. So what, what to you is, is, is the, the, the piece that draws you to this sort of work? So for me, so I, my first experience of emotion coaching and emotional resilience um, concepts came after I had my third child. So I nannied for lots of children. I've worked in with the Youth Justice Board. I've, um, you know, been involved with looked after children. And so when I came to have my own children, I thought I have every tool that was possibly available. And um, my first and my second, my first child and my second child were really easy. And then I have my third and she broke me before the age of two. I, I didn't know what to do with her. She was a very unusual child in the way that she approached things and none of the usual tools worked. And then a colleague at the time I was volunteering as a trustee for the Sure, sure Start who run children's centers and a colleague there invited me, she said, oh, we're doing this workshop and invited to this workshop on called Emotion Coaching to Better Understand Your Child. And that four hours changed my whole life. Wow. Not only did it give me an understanding of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of how to co-regulate with my child and how to use language and emotional words to help her calm down and, and problem solve. It actually brought a greater understanding of my own emotional processing. Um, and it's all rooted in neuroscience, which I love because it makes it, you know, it's, we know it's solid, it's on a solid foundation and well-researched. Um, so I began to do it in my own home with my own family um, coming up for eight years ago and then began to bring it into workplace settings. And, and that's sort of how I ended up going into schools through, um, through firstly through my daughter's school and then um, was invited into some other schools 
who are part of the same academy trust. So that's how I kind of got into it. Um, so what I'm drawn by is how incredibly powerful emotions are as a data source. Right. So, you know, we think we often think of them as, you've, you know, you'd have heard the, the quote, uh, data, sorry, emotions are data, not directives. Mm. We often feel, and even this week, I felt myself being drawn in and led by my emotions rather than stopping to recognize what is it, what is it I need? What are my emotions telling me? So using them as a data source empowers people to problem solve and actually rise up out of challenging situations, whether that's in a moment or a longer term problem to to, to find the answers and to understand themselves better. And with that, confidence grows, self-awareness grows, you become better connected to yourself and others. So yeah, that's um, what I love. That, that's amazing that the, the way it's sort of developed organically for you. So in, in a sense, you you used your, your home situation as, as that lab to, to start off with <laughs> and then moved out to that, that place. Yeah, um, and it's great that you you see the benefit, and I think that that's so important that that you get a personal benefit, which you you then start to have greater and greater belief in that you you're now becoming more and more wanting to share it with others. Yes, it's exactly that, and I think our family, my family unit, is testimony to the the fact that this stuff works. And that brings a lot of credibility when we bring it to other people, which is what, what's so powerful about it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. And I know it works, which is, and, it's, and it felt, you know, when I was sort of starting to think about how to get this out there, it felt too important to keep it to myself. Yeah. Because it has yeah. such a positive impact on us individually and within the family as well as a, as a unit. So, yeah. So, just, just to, to come back to that that statement, which I think is is a massive statement in itself. Um, emotions are data, not directives. directives. So that seems to imply that that if if I'm for me, my emotions are directive. I I am just following them without a sense of awareness. So it, it's just like, oh, I'm mad or I'm sad or I'm whatever it is and I'm just running with it yeah but running behind it almost a sense of I am on this horse that, that's going somewhere and all you have to do is hold on yeah. and your 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 statement is saying well no it is it is not a horse that you jumped on and it's going and you have no control over it. Mm -hmm. you you actually have some sort of influence in that absolutely and I, and it's actually recognizing but I mean what one of the things we say when we're doing training is there's no such thing as negative emotion there's right. challenging emotion but actually if you can take you know if you're feeling really angry it's because you're missing peace so then you can stop and say well, why am I missing peace what where's my peace gone what do I need to get it back how can I take this moment pause identify what I need and use that to problem solve the cause of the anger or to come to peace over the fact you can't problem solve it. It depends what, what the cause of the anger is, of course. Yeah. You know, the same with sadness. You know, if you're feeling sad, you need comfort. So what's the missing comfort? And um, I had an interesting experience this week where there was uh, a very dear friend of mine who I haven't been in contact with for quite a while. I began to really miss him. And I was like, why am I missing him so much? Like, you know, I know where, where he's at. I know what's going on. I know he's really busy and he's, he's asked for some space. Um, you know he's like a brother to me um why am I missing him so much what is going on in my life right now 
that would be different if he was involved? What would he be bringing? And it's comfort. He was somebody that would cheer me on. He's somebody he would say, you're doing a great job. I know this is hard. I'm with you. And he's not around. And that which is absolutely fine because, you know, there's other I've got other friends and other support. But actually what it helped me identify was that I'm actually missing comfort in this particular challenge that I'm facing. So that enabled me to step back and go, where else can I reach out to have my needs met? Right. Uh, that's that's really interesting. So you've you've broadened it out from the 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 situation, or in this case, the person who's in front of you, and saying, yeah. well, well, where does this fit into my my bigger space, my bigger environment, rather than run down the, the line of I guess some people may say, oh, maybe I'm, I'm I, I don't know this person. Well, but- I- you know, like you, you might say, oh, I'm falling in love with this person or whatever oh, it yeah. is. So, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to... Exactly, it's exactly that. So before, I think I would have started to ruminate. Why why does he need space from me? Why doesn't he want to be yeah. involved in, in what we're doing at the moment? He's actually a former colleague. Um, you know, or why... Maybe I should just message him. Maybe I should just reach out. Maybe, it's, you know... So I, all of those actions I would have taken before... I attach, I would have attached to him as a person rather than what he brought. Right. So that that's really interesting. That that sense of self-awareness that the 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 training that you've gone through and you're delivering is actually you you're seeing it in your own life. And I think that's important. Yes. There's a sense of authenticity with, with what you're saying. Yeah. And authenticity is is one of the core values of what we do. It has to be real and applicable and honest because actually we can't we can't use emotions as data if we're not honest about what we're really feeling right so in, i guess in that sense so so what um i've heard people say is right well it's like befriending whatever the emotion is as yes. opposed to i can't feel that or i have to push it away straight away yeah. it's like i'm holding it to, mm-hmm. to look at it almost and saying well that's, that's interesting that this is happening. And so there's a distancing that comes between you and the, the actual emotion that you're feeling. Yeah. So just just to, to come back a little bit, if I came to you and said, da, 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 I'm really angry, da, 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 wouldn't it be true to say that the, the speed at which your emotions arise is greater than, than your ability to, to process? Yes. And so how do you how do you help people in that respect get to that? Because I, I think, wow, that, that Naomi is like way up here and I can I can't get to that point. I'm just down at the bottom, Naomi. So the first, if I encounter somebody that is raging, yep. the first thing I do is say, I can see you're really angry. Okay. Because What's been uh, proven, um, Daniel Segal has done a lot of work in this, so it's got John Gottman and, and lots of other people that are far more qualified than me, but they have discovered that by naming the emotion, it actually enables a connection to happen in the brain between the emotional core of the brain and the logical part of the brain, so connected by the prefrontal cortex. It enables that connection to come into place, which slows down the the sort of, I guess the building up of the emotion. So um, that was the first thing that I learned when I first went to that training was naming what's happening, saying what you see, 
you say what you see, it actually de-escalates the situation. And uh, it's fascinating to watch it in action, actually. So that first day that I did that for our workshop, she talked about uh, a, an 18-month-old who's learning to walk, running. They start running and they fall and they cry. And as an adult, we assume they're hurt. But actually, that 18-month-old was running and now, now it's stopped. So it's actually the shock of the running stopping, more, type, more likely than not. And so she talked about just saying what, you, what happened. You were running and that was fun and you fell and the running stopped, that's so sad. Okay. And, how, and, what that, and how that will bring all the right connections in the brain. And that, that evening, my daughter um, was climbing the bunk bed ladder, <clears throat> excuse me, and she fell and she started to cry. So I scooped her up and I said, you were climbing the ladder, that was really fun and you fell, that's so sad, she stopped crying straight away whereas before I would as my logical brain is saying she must be hurt I would have been looking for injury and she would have escalated to an hour-long meltdown which is what she was having all the time right and so by saying what I was seeing stopped it stopped it it was phenomenal and and I was getting this so she was having regular tantrums at an hour long but the same thing applies to adults so I had a situation where I was coaching a married couple and there was a situation that had been disclosed to me by the wife that the husband didn't know I knew. I didn't know that he didn't know I knew. Okay. I mentioned it and he flipped. I mean, absolutely flipped. And so I calmly said to the wife, please, can you leave the room? And I mean, he was raging. And I just said, I can see that what I have said has caused you to feel really angry. And he sort of paused. And I said, I'm really sorry, that must have been shocking for you. And he calmed down. Only for about 15 seconds. Yeah. But he calmed down long enough for me to be able to explain that I didn't know that he didn't know I knew. Yeah. And so, and even it was about a four or five minute situation that would go, he would begin to rage. I would name and validate what he was seeing. He would calm down enough for me to bring a bit more explanation until he was able to say, I'm feeling really angry. I need to leave now so I can calm down. I said, absolutely, I completely understand. And he left. So, you know, and the situation was resolved um, eventually through, you know, various correspondence and emails with the school I was supporting him through. But, but it was just really interesting to see that exactly the same situation mm. where he begins to rage, just like my toddler, and I was able, just saying what I see brings down the bring down that fight, flight, freeze response. So and so what I learned to do is to do the same in myself. Right. So I'm road rage is a problem for me. I begin to get agitated by what I consider to be uh, incompetent drivers, uh, which is very judgmental. And that's that's my problem. And so I I begin to fit and I'll say and then I'll say I'm feeling really stressed and angry right now because I didn't allow enough time for me to leave. On time, I didn't leave enough time for me to make this journey. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling stressed. And just by naming that would calm me down enough to get some perspective and say, at worst, I'm going to be two minutes late. It's not the end of the world. So both, both, both in your personal and, and speaking to this client, it's like you've applied, I, I've kind of visualized it like tapping the brakes 
Yeah. So the, the car's running down the hill. You, if, if you slam on the brakes, you, you'll cause an accident. Mm -hmm. You just tap on it and let go, tap on it and let go. You're giving enough space for the um, amygdala to calm down and the prefrontal cortex to, to kick in so that, that some kind of semblance of logic and control can come back in. Exactly. And then you can move to problem solving. And the beautiful thing about it, as you'll know, is the more you do something, the more secure those neurological connections become. And so the automated response of naming your emotion becomes easier. It, beca it becomes more automated rather than something you have to work really hard on. So one of the things we talk a lot with clients is actually naming your emotions in times where you're not in a heightened state. Right. So you know, brushing your teeth in the morning, how, what's going, what's happening today? How do I feel about each of those things? And naming them out loud is keeping that firing off those neurological connections till they become like motorways. And then, uh -huh. and then... Sorry. And do you do you come into situations where somebody is unable to name the emotion because either for whatever reason they don't have the language that that says I feel x all the time <laughs> all the time so we have loads of resources we have an emotion wheel which is fairly comprehensive but still not fully there and yeah. um, has the six core emotions primary emotions on there and then it, it works out works its way out and some things are in one but could be in several and so um we often start with that and with children we have emojis and something called jelly beans where the jelly beans have different facial expressions and my daughter's got that in her room and so which jelly bean are you today um and how <clears throat> we talk about how you can be lots at once you know you can be in a state of contentment and happiness whilst facing some painful challenging situations yeah. um so yeah so we will begin we often begin with that so i we always talk through the basic neuroscience and explain how it works so that people recognize the value of actually taking a moment. And so what, what's fascinating is even with, with children who haven't learned to speak yet, is even naming the emotion will calm them down. And whether it's to do with tone or, <clears throat> or just, you know, the vibrations they're picking up from the parent or whoever it is, I don't know, but it's, it's incredible to see how even that can happen. And so, um, when we're working with clients who have gone through particular difficulty and they're struggling to name their experiences, we will do that for them. So we use, uh, you know, I imagine you felt abandoned or I imagine you felt confused. Uh, confusion is a really common one that takes some time to unpick. Um, or I imagine you felt sad or, you know, whatever it is. And that and sometimes I go, no, it wasn't that. It was this. Okay. Or they'll say, yes, that's exactly right. So <clears throat> it's, it's, um, but so doing it for them. And that's what co-regulating is. So we'll almost co-regulate with a client until they're able to self-regulate. So co-regulating is coming, coming alongside or, or working in parallel where the other person is, is not able to, for whatever reason, get in touch with, with the feeling. And yeah. you're supplying possibilities that they can latch on to. Yeah, so we're bringing, we're, we're essentially bringing them the language. Right, right. And enabling them to develop that. Yeah. The, the, that, that aligns with um, the developmental psychology that I've been looking at, which is that we, we have mirror neurons in our brain. Mm -hmm. 
and for for children who who either have had problems of caregivers in their in their early life, they they are unable to to formulate the language because they've never seen it. Right. So sometimes yeah. I, I think, well, yeah, by you naming whatever the emotion is, uh, my guess would be somewhere in, in your countenance is that emotion that somebody can say, yes, yeah, happiness looks like what I'm seeing here or anger looks like, and you, you automatically kind of do it that, so they can, they can mirror it. Absolutely. Yeah, and we talk a lot about children learn by mirroring. Mm. So my children, my oldest is 15. She, you know, and obviously it's been a very, very strained couple of years for everybody around the world, but for teenagers especially. And she is, has been able to come to me and say, I'm feeling really stressed about this. I'm feeling concerned about this. I'm more, you know, she's been able to communicate and self-regulate and co-regulate with me to a phenomenal level. It's been quite stunning to see. Um, and similarly with my son, you know, he was year six, he would have been doing all these end of year stuff when COVID hit. And when we first started homeschooling, he was just angry all the time. So I'd say, hey, you know, Judy, you seem really angry right now. What's going on? I don't know. I just feel mad. And then he's able to talk about, we sort of broke it down. What it, And actually it was all about disappointment. So much disappointment. So, you know, it's just finding different ways. And they've watched me self-regulate and learn it. Yeah. And I've co-regulated with them. And so I have three very, very well-regulated children who can manage themselves yeah. in amazing situations, even if they're struggling, yeah. so, which is, is amazing. But the, what's, what's so powerful about emotion coaching is even a small amount can make a difference. There's one child I started working with in year, he was year three. And if I said the word feeling, he would rage and bolt. So even saying the word emotional feeling or anything like it, he would get really, really mad. And so I just started really gently doing some play things with him. And he um, eventually began to trust me. And I was only doing half an hour a week. Right. And then um, there was a one incident uh, January last year where something happened, which meant he flipped his lid and made some really poor choices. And I happened to be in the school that day. I was only doing half a day a week. And they came and got me and I sat and I co-regulated and problem solved him through it. And from then on, he didn't ever need time out of the classroom. It was like something clicked for him. And because it was me who he trusted, who I'd been mirroring it for him. Suddenly he's now able to self-regulate. Yeah. And the school cannot believe the difference in this child. So it's, it works even just in short bursts. And, and do you think that um, I don't want to, to, to um, let me be careful in this. Don't want to, to make, sort of make you, make yourself redundant. Because I guess there, there's only so many of you or the, or the, the people who, who've got these sort of skills. Are these, are these skills um, teachable do you do you teach others to do this so that you can sort of spread spread it further yes we do so um we've i've done all my training and accreditation with emotion coaching uk right and everybody that has done training with them is already doing this stuff there's, there's whole schools that are emotion coach trained um we take it a little bit deeper in what we do with mitos so um emotion coaching is about managing 
the, the emotional experience in the moment. We go a bit deeper. So with our clients, particularly the one-to-one adult clients, we look at behaviors that they're struggling with or situations they're struggling with. And we go back to childhood. Where was the unmet need in the first place? So I, my firm belief is that the vast majority of mental health conditions are a result of a cumulative effect of unmet emotional need yeah. or, or lack of emotional language. So by, so we essentially build resilience. We go back, I had one client who was absolutely terrified of dogs. We went back into the moment of when she was first encountered a dog that scared her and what emotional need wasn't met. And then I spoke to her as though I was in that memory with her, literally went through, I'd imagine that was really frightening for you. I'd imagine you felt this and this and this. And it brought down the prefrontal cortex in the memory. And then the following week when I met with her, I said, how are you doing? She said, I hugged a dog yesterday. Wow. She's 37. Yes. And the, the memory was from four. So where a client can say, well, I know that fear comes from there. We can go there and address what was needed in order to overcome it here. Now that's a very simplified example. It's not always that easy, but just helping people understand that, that some of the behavior, because most people are very self hard on themselves. You know, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I can't seem to recover from this. And I keep going back to this habit. And so we look at what caused those things to form in the first place. And it's not, it's not therapy. Most of these people have done therapy. They've done counseling. They, they understand themselves. We just bring the tools to actually overcome the problems in the first place. But but you also bring a, a safety aspect to it. Yeah. And security in order to, to hold that space where somebody is exploring whatever X, Y, and Absolutely. Z is. And I think that's, that's a big piece of it, isn't it? It's I think and it's an important piece. So you know, one of the, the sort of jokes we've made when we've talked about upscale upscaling the business is we can't clone ourselves. Yeah. So um, the the people that we're looking at working with to train up to, you know, we're, we're, we're actually really excited about the bigger projects and the, the organizational things because it has a bigger impact. And, you know, that what we're doing with the one to one coaching is is like pulling people out of the river. Yep. The bigger organizational stuff is stopping them falling in. So it's it's a it's a double it's a two pronged approach. So we are working with people who um, we know get it and understand the values of what we're doing, who we know are doing the work on themselves. So we've got one person that's working for us now. He's going to start taking on our caseload in the school who I, I did a long stint of coaching her and I saw her take these tools and begin to use them on herself. And I've watched her do it with her children. So she gets it. So I know that she can go into a space with a child that's not engaging in a classroom and give them what they need in that 30 minutes. So, yes, so it's, and we train whole staff, you know, we we train people to help people de-escalate, but we're looking now at sort of projects to bring about sustainability in organizations for it to become cultural. Wow, that's a, a, it's a massive compared to the the one-to-one. Yes, it's huge. Yeah, Yeah, you're trying to shift culture. Yes, and the, the one organisation, so there's an organisation, Swim Island, who are the governing body for aquatics in, in the whole of Ireland. Uh, they asked us to create an emotional resilience and leadership programme for their elite athletes, which 
we started to be delivered in uh, the early part of this year. And they're like, this is what was missing. We needed this. So then we've done some work with their club children's officers and safeguarding leads. We've done some work with their coaches. Now we're about to do a, a webinar series for their, for any adult that's involved in swim island, whether it's a parent, a coach, a teacher. And, uh, and then we're going to be moving on to training up a, a small group of tutors who will continue all the training, all the, all the stuff that we've created for them will continue to roll it out so it becomes cultural across the organisation. They're looking at creating 10 safe spaces or 12 safe spaces that are the equivalent of us in the organisation. Right. They've said, we want this to be in our culture, which is incredible, be an incredible privilege for us to be, to be working with them. But they've caught it and have gone, yeah, this is what we need individually and, and um, collectively. So we, we were saying earlier about, or you were saying earlier about the idea of, of not spreading yourself too thin as an mm -hmm. individual and leaving your, your space for personal life and family life. So do you, do you think that your, your work has any sort of um, societal impact on a, on a broader scale um, at this point in time? Um, I hope so. And what, um, what do you what do you how do you see that working out or what what sort of vision do you have for that so our our vision is broad yeah um and um what's the word um we're not looking to go small we kind of have a go big or go home approach because we see every single day in our personal life and in our working life, the positive impact of what we're doing. So the testimonials we get from one-to-one -one clients are phenomenal. The feedback we have from the training we deliver is incredible um, because what we can, you know, so I've got one, one teacher who I did some training with who immediately began to implement emotional engagement and emotional um, conversation and language into circle time in the classroom. Yeah. And he has, has said, the kids are calmer. They're more engaged. When I speak, they stop and they listen. And I said, well, because they know you're invested in them because you're talking about your feelings. So, um, you know, so that, I mean, that's a class of 30 children. But, you know, if you take that across a whole school and there are whole schools that adopt this approach, that it has a huge impact. I see you know, the way I communicate with my 15 year old and then the way she communicates with her friends, they are being impacted because they're finding they're being validated. And that's what it comes down to. We all, every human on the planet needs to feel seen and they need to feel safe in being seen. So not seen and vulnerable and torn apart, but seen and validated. And so the, tool, the, the, so the tools we bring are very, very simple, but so scalable. You know, you can talk, so when I, when we came, you know, started to come back into classroom environments after COVID, you know, I had teachers saying, how do we talk to the children about this? We're not allowed to touch them. Mm. And so I'd say, well, say that. Say, isn't this weird? I found it really hard. I found it really confusing that, you know, and when I see you're sad and I want to hug you and I can't, that's really hard. Well, what can we do? So it was a whole class of reception children that I did a, did a half an hour with. And we talked about this and we we're like, what do you find hard? Where do you feel your feelings in your body? 
you know, the fact that we need hugs work because they send a signal straight up to the amygdala that you're safe. So we can hug ourselves and that actually does weirdly make us feel safer. So, so this, this small kind of what feels like a really small amount of information can completely transform an entire situation or entire mm. culture just by taking on that one little bit of thing about I'm going to validate what you're feeling. I'm going to recognize the value in what I'm feeling and we're going to say it out loud. Just that can change everything. And so we are passionate about seeing this kind of knowledge spread far and wide. And, and the reason we are absolutely determined to bring tools is because knowledge is pointless if you don't know how to use it. Yeah. So we've got um, we're having conversations with police, people that are connected with the police who are doing some consulting work, who want to find a way to bring this in. We've got somebody involved with young offenders institutes. We've recently had a call with somebody involved with um, the military, um, somebody who's involved with finding um, jobs for displaced refugees. Um, so we're, we're like this stuff is essential in every single setting. It's essential in churches, in youth, youth organizations, in corporate. There isn't anywhere that it isn't important because everywhere you go, there are humans and it's a human, it's a human need. Yes, yeah. And I guess that, that for me brings up kind of like um, being oil in the engine rather than, so the oil goes everywhere. Yes. It, it underpins a lot of the stuff and so you're bringing that that awareness back in, that knowledge back in, that that validation, that security, all of this is is part of your work. Yes. And it's amazing when it does that. Do do you have any um, tips for, for people who are particularly stressed at the moment? So any general sort of things that that one could could take on board and and sort of self-regulate for yourself? Uh, stress is an interesting one, actually, because um, something I've been pondering quite a lot because I, my, I've been in a time of quite immense stress and I don't notice when I'm stressed until my body starts to kick off. Okay. So uh, often that means uh, I feel it a lot in my tummy and has issues, dietary issues. Um, or, you know, as I said to you before the call, I've had this really rotten cold, which is why my voice is a bit off. And I know it's stress related. I know I haven't. And have I not been taking care of myself? I haven't been intentionally neglecting myself, but I haven't taken probably the care that I need. And um, I think stress is, there's, there's two types of stress. There's stress that we can control and there's stress that we can't. And so I think that's one of the most important things we can pause and say, what is what is going on in my world right now that I can control? What can't I control? And then where we can control is where we need to step in and start making some empowered choices, because actually, I think a lot of stress is caused by um, a, a lack of autonomy. Yep. So when we feel like we're under pressure we've got to get this done and if we don't the world is going to end or this has happened or this has happened and it spirals and that's where you know we can begin to go down you know we we begin to go into spaces that aren't even true a lot of the time mm -hmm. and so um you know I think it, it's it's interesting because a friend of mine yesterday said oh Naomi I really think you should just sign up to a health club so you can just go and sit in a 
hot tub for an hour a week just to give yourself that headspace and and I was in a bad mood and I retaliated saying well, it's not going to make my problems go away <laughs> but she's right actually um connecting with nature is incredibly empowering for helping with stress and so I don't really like saying well just get out for a walk because it will make everything better mm. it doesn't make it better it just makes it a bit easier and it gives you the headspace leave your phone at home that's a really important part of that I had a really interesting experience um last summer I left my phone at home and I went for a walk kind of thankfully right on the edge of the countryside and I and I was out for a walk and I suddenly felt I, said, I really need a hug why do I want a hug so badly like I mean yes it's COVID and I haven't hugged people as much but this was like a need like a like you know when you desperately crave chocolate or something yeah. and I stopped and I was like what it where is that coming from and I backtracked and actually it was a little pocket of grief over a situation that I hadn't acknowledged was there. And I just said it out loud. I'm feeling this and it's, I'm feeling this grief and it's causing me this stress and I don't know what to do with it, et cetera. And then as I said, all of that out loud, the need for a hug went away. And the same thing works with stress. Actually, you know, yes, you can write down your urgent to do's and you can do this or the other, but I find for me journaling every day, if I do that, my stress levels stay manageable. Um, getting out for a walk regularly helps keep things regulated. Um, completely switching off. So what, the first week of the summer holidays, I took my laptop with me and I worked and I came home. I, it wasn't a holiday. I didn't rest, mm. not properly. Then when I went away again, I didn't even think about work. I didn't check work emails. I, didn't, I was like, I'm off this week. Didn't respond to clients, didn't respond to messages. And even though it was a busier week in terms of activities, I came home much more rested. So there's sort of it, it's those sort of little things. But I think as well, when you're in a in a in an environment with lots of other people, um, actually, you know, I, I I did a blog post about this actually about talking about the cumulative losses, the cumulative stress, the cumulative trauma, particularly as a result of COVID, but actually any stressful situation. And just saying it to the room, this has been really, really hard. And we recognize that there are, in this room, there are people feeling stressed, there's people feeling anxious, there's people feeling uh, afraid, there's people feeling, feeling fine, actually. They haven't been hugely impacted. And so they might come across as a little bit flippant. You know, that we, it's naming all of those different scenarios and, and emotions just actually almost disperses. You know, I always say what's, what stays in the dark controls is more controlling than what's in the light. So the more you talk about something, the less it controls you and the more you can own it and, and live it. And so talk to someone, you know, I know that when I just sort of stuff is building up in my head, just making a call and offloading. Yes. And then often I can, you know, I feel better then. And I can it, know, know it, how to problem solve. It's true. What you're saying in, in that scenario, it's, it's the, isolation piece as well where we're being physically isolated from one another um and mentally isolated from one another and so it's, it's for people would say well I, I don't want to burden you with, with my problems because you've got your own problems and yeah. that, that in itself creates the barriers so 
even to name, so going along the same sort of line as, as what you say you in terms of your work is to, to name the, the emotion is to put it out there, to name the feeling is not necessarily I need to give it to you. Yeah. But I, I need to get it out of myself. Yeah. And when we do that in the same space, I don't need somebody else to pick it up and say, oh, poor you. I just yeah. need to get rid of it from my own personal space. Yes. And we can do that collectively. Absolutely. And we can, I had an experience recently where I began to feel quite ashamed about something. And shame is a very powerful, very strong, very dark emotion that a lot of people struggle with. And uh, I've been on a huge journey in that, in that area myself to come free of it. But I, I could feel, I was like, oh, I almost, some emotions I look at almost as being like an external voice. Mm-hmm. It's like shame is really loud in my head right now. And so I was driving and I, so I put in a call on hands-free to a very good friend of mine. I said, shame is really loud in my head right now. I need to say out loud what it is I'm struggling with because I can't hear myself. And so that's all I did. I said, this is what I'm struggling with. This is how I feel about it. This is what I wish I'd done differently. And this friend of mine gently laughed because it really wasn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. And then she said, I can see why you feel, feel that way about things. What, how do you want to move forward? And I knew how I wanted to move forward, but I just needed to bring it into a space where it wasn't in my head. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's why um, people would say to, that healing in its broadest sense is not an individual thing. It, it's a corporate. It's no, a we need each other. So we yeah. need each other to, to do the validation piece, to do the, the comfort piece, to do this walking alongside. And, and it doesn't need to be um, complex. It can be simple. And I always say to people when they say, yes, but I don't want to burden you. Yeah. And my response is, would you feel burdened if I made the call? If it was me making the call? Would you feel burdened if it was your sister or your brother or your friend that was calling you? Well, no, of course not. Okay. So then I don't feel burdened by you making that call. Or your mum won't feel burdened by you making that call. Can and I, if I, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's really really true. I just wanted to to track back to a comment you made um, earlier in in terms of working with kids. Um, I think it was with children. It's like where you're feeling this in your body. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that we um, in in momentum are, are working on at present is, is that idea of the the body as as the the reservoir. Of, of the emotions and sometimes you can tap into it where it is in your body and it yeah. brings release wi- without having to even to name it or even to to see where it comes from mm-hmm. because I guess sometimes you know the further on you go in life the harder it is to figure out where why am I feeling what I'm so it might be you're thinking well I'm feeling ashamed because of X, Y, and Z, which might be today or might be six weeks ago. But if you go further back, it's harder to find the roots. Yeah. So in the work that you've done, have you have you seen any of that release without the understanding of where it's come from? Or do you think it's important to know the root? I think it's 